Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to dive into our latest position rankings. We're going to do the offensive side of the ball today. We talk Senior Bowl. I'm done. I'm done with the Senior Bowl. We can maybe bring it up in bits, but I can't do another preview, review, <laughs> position breakdown of the Senior Bowl. I'm leaving Mobile in Alabama. We're in Cincinnati now, so let's do these position rankings for the offensive side of the ball and get to defense tomorrow. Starting with the quarterbacks, the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to read out the full top ten. Full top 10 on PFF's latest big board. You can check out the full list on PFF.com. And then after we dive into the top 10, I want to bring up some key names, some key differences from around the media and, and what we're hearing from NFL teams. So starting with quarterback, number one, Joe Burrow of LSU. No surprises there. Number two, Tua Tagovailoa of Alabama. Tua Tungavailoa, yeah. apologize, with an You're asterisk right. next to his name, a yeah. little bit for the injury. And then number three, Justin Herbert of Oregon. Number four, Jake Fromm of Georgia. Five, Jordan Love, Utah State. Six, Anthony Gordon, Washington State, who had himself a pretty good week at the senior ball. I said I wasn't going to bring it up. Here we are. I just can't. I can't stop. Veets is still running through my veins. Uh, number seven, Jacob Eason of Washington. Eight, Cole McDonald of Hawaii with the dreadlocks and all. He's coming to the mainland at number eight overall. Number nine, Jalen Hurts of Alabama. And ten, Josh Love of San Jose State. Okay, it's an interesting top ten. I want to start moving past the first three. Burrow, Tungavailoa, Herbert, I've heard enough. Give me Jake Fromm, number four, the Georgia kid. Yeah, we really haven't talked about Jake Fromm uh, yet so far. He declared early, surprised a lot of people. I thought, I thought he was pretty much a locked comeback from his senior year. But he has improved. You know, Every single year of his career, he has gotten better. Kind of Kind of had a bad second half of this 2019 season, though. The, the big things with him are he will play within structure. He will run your offense to a tee. He is very good at getting the ball out of his hands quickly, where it needs to be, reading a defense, getting from one to two to three, balls out, not taking sacks, that sort of thing. He can do that. He can also protect the football at a very high level, only, I think, seven turnover-worthy plays this whole past season. Uh, and so... He's going to get the game manager sort of label to him because of those two things, and very much deservedly so. Like, he does not make plays outside of structure. When he's, you know, I think I look back in, in all the games, he's been asked to drop back to pass 35-plus times. He has something like a, a 64.3 wow. grade in those games. Like, he's just not been good, and it was like a 51.8 completion percentage in those games. Like, when they ask him to put it on his shoulders, it hasn't been good, but when he sort of can manage a game when he's a lot of play action, when you've got the running game going and you're, uh, you can rely on him to not lose you a game. Is mm-hmm. I think the biggest way, the best way to put it for Jake Fromm. So there's a lot to like. Been starting ever since his freshman year. You have three years now of a sample with him. I just think, yes, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the high end of a guy who's ranked behind him in a Jordan Love or a Jacob Eason. He doesn't have those plays on tape. But I think he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL and a competent starting quarterback in the NFL. And that's why he checks in at number four. Don't love, don't love any of these guys after the top two, but that's why he's at number four. I think you know, something that stuck out to me there and something that I also saw with Jake Fromm is when they asked him to put the gas pedal down, you know, put your floor down on the gas pedal yeah. and really get aggressive is when he started to make the mistakes. Also, he kind of struggled a bit under pressure. Right? Yeah. When, when, when pressured, was, when, in, when he wasn't in a perfect situation, you start to see those flaws come out. But like you said, he has a high floor. And with that floor, he comes in at number four. I want to dive in a little bit more on why you have him over Jordan Love, though. Jordan Love at five. A lot of people have. Some people have Jordan in love over Herbert mm-hmm. in this class. Why Fromm over Love? Give me some specifics on that. Well, I think it's just because I think Fromm is an easier projection. Like I can see Fromm going to an NFL offense next year and not looking out of place whatsoever. Like I, I think he can run an NFL offense. I think it could get ugly if you if you throw Jordan Love out there or try or if you know he starts at any point over the next couple of years in the NFL. I just that decision making is very worrisome and the inconsistency is very worrisome 
from. I just think you know what you're getting, and it's a little safer projection. So it's like it, it, one's like a lottery ticket, one's like a sure thing. The sure thing might only be a, be a scratch off that gets you five bucks in return, but the lottery you know lottery ticket could get you nothing. So yep. that, that, that's to me what it is right now. Let's skip down to number eight. Cole McDonald of Hawaii. He comes in at number eight on PFF's latest quarterback rankings in the 2020 NFL Draft. Talk about a guy who has had some high end, but he's yeah. also got low on a roller coaster ride yeah. that you can kind of fall in love with, with the dreadlocks. I, I'm a big fan of Cole yeah. McDonald when you watch him, but I can also understand why he was benched in parts of this season <laughs> because of that low end play. Yeah, and it's it's so weird. He's one of the oddest prospects in this entire draft. One, because of Hawaii's offense was one of the most unusual offenses in college football. Like they uh, they went four wide every single play. Or they had four wide at least every yes. single play. Uh, five wide, uh, about, a, you know, uh, I think it was like 100 dropbacks. He had five wide completely. So uh, empty sets, ton of that. Like he was passing. It was not a, not a run-heavy offense by any means. So kind of the opposite of Jake Fromm. Uh, and you saw a lot of good on his tape. His underneath accuracy was great on throws. Uh, one to nine yards down the football field. He ranked uh, 16th in all of college football in terms of adjusted completion percentage. Like he puts the ball where it needs to be underneath. So a lot of guys with big arms, a lot of guys that look the part, and you'll struggle with that underneath. Actually, no, he's good in that regard. But at the same time, he threw more balls to like stationary defenders than any quarterback <laughs> in college football. Like, he was he was top five in turnover worthy plays this year. So those are worrisome figures. Yes. But I do think there's still a lot on his tape in terms of just arm strength, underneath accuracy. I think there's something to work with there. And if you put him in a scheme that's not as crazy as Hawaii's, I think you'll get the better, the best out of it. Looking at some of his stats here, 31 big-time throws, a number I expect. I expect him to be over 30 given the sample size of dropbacks, but also 29 turnover-worthy plays. That's yeah. an insane figure. Again, it goes back to that roller coaster. And, mm. and turnover-worthy plays are more predictive year-over-year year from college to the NFL, also college-over-college. Then interception. So looking at turnover-worthy plays has a ton of value at the quarterback position. Also, 12.5 yards average depth of target. This guy was pushing the ball downfield. Like you said, a passing offense that was aggressive. I think there's going to be guys that like some of the tools with this guy and think they can mold him in to something special at number 8 on PFF's latest quarterback rankings. Before we jump off the quarterbacks, let's jump right down to number 9. Jalen Hurts of Alabama didn't have a great senior bowl week. Was all over the place from an accuracy standpoint. A ton of miscommunication, Mm -hmm. which was kind of weird down there in Mobile. But he comes in at number 9 on PFF's latest. His QB rankings. Yeah, and we're going to be lower on them than the rest of uh, probably the evaluation community, or maybe not even. I, I think people are just kind of low on him in general right now because you don't see those special throws down the football field. He only had 19 big time throws this past year, despite uh, you know a, a very high average depth of targets. Average depth of targets something like 11.5 yards down the football field, and only had a middling number of big time throws. You look at his big time throw numbers compared to Kyler Murray last year. Kyler Murray 29. Hurt since 19. Baker Mayfield the year before that had 35. So this is an offense that sort of is a downfield passing offense. It's conducive to uh, if you can make those special throws, it will give you every opportunity to do that. Hurts just hasn't been able to over mm-hmm. the course of his career. His ball placement down the field is not great. Again, we saw it in the senior bowl. Hasn't been his calling card. And then the other thing is he's going to get Lamar Jackson sort of. Everyone's going to be, oh, Lamar worked out. Jalen Hurts can too. Uh, because of his running ability, but his running ability is not that special mm-hmm. to me. It's like I think he's going to run in like the four sevens. Like I don't think he's, I don't think he'd even play running back. You know, we always talk about oh, Kyler Murray if he was a running back would be an elite running back. Lamar Jackson if he was a wide receiver could be an elite wide receiver. Jalen Hurts not that level athlete. Yeah. he is. He's a good athlete for the position. He had over a thousand rushing yards this past year, but he is not special by any means. NFL defenders should bring him down on first contact pretty much 
the majority of the time. So that's that's the worry with me is, yes, his legs are a weapon, but they're not so much so that defenses are really going to sell out to stop it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think people were quick to, I think you've even said it, to say the Lamar Jackson, even Tyrod Taylor way of winning with Jalen Hurts. But the problem is that he's not as accurate as Tyrod Taylor, and he's not as athletic as Lamar Jackson. So you're getting a poor man's of both, therefore making already a limited quarterback yes. as is, yeah. making it that much harder to build an offense around with him and win with him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's dive into the running back position. I'm going to go through the top ten again and hit on some key names. Number one, kind of surprising to a lot of people, I'm sure, Zach Moss of Utah. I was insane from a force-missed tackle perspective. He comes in at number one. DeAndre Swift of Georgia, a pass-catching back that we covet for that pass-catching ability at number two. Number three, we have Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. Four, J.K. Dobbins of Ohio State. Five, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of LSU, a very fun player to watch. I think he's an exciting guy between the tackles and in space. Number six, Keyshawn Vaughn, smaller guy coming out of Vanderbilt, but he's packed, stacked, mm-hmm. loaded. This guy is jacked to the gills. Number seven, Antonio Gibson, running back this time. He played a lot of wide receiver at Memphis, very yeah. similar to Tony Pollard in that he played slot receiver, outside receiver, only had, I think, 33 rushes from a running back position at Memphis, but he played running back at the Senior Bowl. Looked pretty special there. He also forces missed tackles at a high level. Eight, Cam Akers of Florida State. Eno Benjamin coming at nine, Arizona State, and 10. Reggie Corbin, my guy, former rugby player, mm-hmm. Illinois product. I think he has some very splash plays on tape as well. That's the 10. Let's start with one. That's what everyone wants to hear about. Zach Moss of Utah. Why is he the best back in this class? Not a lot of people have him as their top running back. A lot of people go Swift. Taylor, Dobbins, those seem to be one of those three. But we're going to go with Moss because what he does well, we know translates to the NFL. Being able to break tackles. And he's done it throughout his entire career. He has been one of the best. And he peaked this year with the third best season we've ever seen in terms of missed tackles forced per attempt. Uh, Actually, one of the only ones better was Travis Etienne with him this past season. So uh, in terms of running backs in the NFL right now, he will be uh, the best in terms of broken tackles per attempt. Had 87 broken tackles this past year on the ground, 15 more through the air. And he's he's an accomplished receiver as well throughout his career. 28 receptions this season, only one drop, and 15 broken tackles, like I said, on those 28 receptions is a crazy high rate. So him out in space is a playmaker, and I think he comes from a Utah offense that's very projectable to the NFL and the concepts they ran. Uh, So he's just, to me, he's safer then. You know he's going to be good at those things. Uh, DeAndre Switch, Alan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins have other question marks in terms of not as high a broken tackle rate, not as high yards after contact per attempt. Necessarily, I just think Zach Moss, uh, you know what you're going to be getting at the next level, and it's a quality, quality running back. I don't see any of these guys necessarily as sort of that First-round special conversation like we were talking about with Travis Etienne in terms of he's just a home-run threat waiting to happen. He would have been the top back in his class. But without him on that list, I do think Zach Moss. If I were to be taking one, it would be Zach Moss. Still very surprised that Travis Etienne returned to school because this guy was our number one back the entire offseason before he announced that he would be going back to Clemson because, I mean, he's that good. I mean, he he broke – the PFF record for forced missed tackles per attempt. This guy was elusive, and then some. Zach Moss coming at number one now because he's actually going to the 2020 NFL draft. And uh, I think he's a very special player. You talk to the data, data scientists here at PFF. Elusiveness translates from college to pro, and Zach Moss has a ton of that. That's why I think you said I think a good word there is safe. You feel comfortable projecting yeah. him to the next level because you know what he's going to do and do well. Moving forward down the list a little bit, and you got you got you already mentioned the three backs, but I want to go to number seven, Antonio Gibson of Memphis, a very exciting player. You watch this guy run routes. You said this to me. Like, very sloppy from a route running standpoint. Uh, he's there's like, a reason why he didn't actually like see the field as a wide receiver. He's not a great route runner, mm-hmm. but he can't catch. Like, yeah. like he, the hands weren't an issue. It was more just like, 
some of He's also an insane athlete. Like, yeah. I mean, this guy returned kicks, played slot receiver, outside receiver, halfback. I, I think he's a really versatile piece that is becoming so much more coveted in today's NFL, a guy that can be a mismatch weapon mm. where you play him. Yeah, so 38 receptions this past season. Uh, broke uh, broke 17 tackles on those, which is just, I mean, that's a crazy rate for anyone. And then as a rusher, he only had 33 attempts on the season and broke 16 tackles on those. Like, mm-hmm. he is just uh, was shredding dudes all season long. It's not even really all season long. Only really played the second half of the season offensively. But when he got the ball in his hands, he was just very, very difficult to bring down. And, again, that's something we see translate again and again. Uh, and then the added receiving abilities. Yes, his routes were kind of Kind of, kind of rough for a wide receiver. If you're going to be playing a full-time wide receiver, that's probably not going to be his best fit. But his routes are, are good compared to running backs. And mm-hmm. his hands are very good when compared to running backs. So I think you can get a ball, him the ball out in space, get a little creative with him. Uh, the comp for him and the guy was Ty Montgomery, who, who was a very yeah. similar in terms of what he did when he got to the NFL. So I think that's what you could be getting in Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I think he's going to be, it's going to be interesting to where, see where he goes because I think he could play early in his NFL career and offer value in multiple areas, special yeah. teams, receiver, running back, wherever you decide to put him, this guy's probably going to add some value. Let's go to the wide receiver position. It's I'll say it and I'll say it again. We've said it all offseason long. Mm-hmm. It's a deep, very good wide receiver class. There's two guys at the top that are true number ones, guys that you want to take in the first round. CeeDee Lamb of Oklahoma at one and two, Jerry Judy of Alabama coming in there. And then three, LaVisca Chenault Jr. of Colorado, not necessarily an impressive route runner. Still needs to grow in that regard, get better from a refinement standpoint but a special player in a similar way to Antonio Gibson and that you play this guy anywhere he's going to offer a ton of value four you have Henry Ruggs of Alabama a speedster five T Higgins of Clemson the bigger receiving prospect that has shown great things in contested catch situations then you have six Jalen Rieger of Rager excuse me Jalen Rager of TCU seven Brandon Ayuk of Arizona State still wish we got to see him at the senior bowl he got flagged uh, for his physical down there. Didn't get a chance to participate and see him. Very explosive dude. Eight, Denzel Mims of Baylor. We did see him mm-hmm. at the Senior Bowl, and that guy rose quite a bit. Denzel Mims, a very fun player to watch at the Senior Bowl. Michael Pittman Jr. of USC at nine. And ten, Jawan Jennings of Tennessee. I know a guy that you really like. Yeah. He drops to ten a little bit after what was a rough Senior Bowl, up and down maybe mm-hmm. for him, but he drops to ten. Jawan Jennings of Tennessee. I want to skip past the top guys. We've been talking about the top guys all yeah, year long. Let's go to Jalen. Yeah. Let's go to Jalen Rager of TCU, a guy that doesn't have the 2019 production. You look at his production in 2019, you get scared. Mm. What, what happened? Then you look at his quarterback was not great. You know, didn't run. You know, didn't they didn't use him creatively? Kind of kept him at right wide receiver his entire career at TCU. But when you look at this guy and you look at the traits he brings to the table, the speed, the change of direction, I'd even say ball skills. Looking at his 2018 season, he is a very good receiver in this class. Yeah, there's sort of this theme within the top eight uh, here on the list, and it's explosiveness. Mm-hmm. Like you, you want guys who are freak athletes at their wide receiver position who can separate, and I think that's Jalen Rager. Yes, he didn't have the production. We've talked about it again and again why he necessarily didn't have the production in terms of leaving him on one side of the field, not having a good quarterback situation, not featuring him on screens whatsoever in that offense, not you know finding ways to get him targets. And, and so that was his issues, but like he attacks the ball extremely well in the air. He is very physical uh, at the catch point despite you know being undersized. I, I think he's sort of, if him and Henry Ruggs' situations were flipped, uh, we might we might have flipped on this list. It's yeah. impossible to sort of not have that worry about the production in the back of your mind. But like he, he might he might be in Ruggs' situation because that's how uh, just explosive of an athlete Rager is. And so I think him 
And then the guy after him on this list, Brandon Ayuk, are just, they're not polished products by any means. There's question marks about, uh, you know, how, they're, how they set up their routes. You know, will they be, uh, you know, technicians at the next level? I don't think that's going to happen right out the gate. But both of them are just guys where get the ball in their hands and good things tend to happen. Ayuk averaged over 10 yards after the catch this year and still averaged 18.3 yards per reception. That is an absurd figure uh, for any wide receiver, uh, let alone one guy, guy playing the power five. So he is, both these guys offer a ton in terms of just explosiveness and downfield ability that I think uh, the fact that they're coming in at six and seven on this list is kind of crazy with how good they are still. I want to get back to Jalen Rager. You mentioned a thing that kind of stuck out to me with Henry Ruggs. Like, so there's two things there. If he was used like Henry Ruggs was yeah. used, even at TCU, things would have been different. Like get him more involved creatively, play him in the slot, slot, so, you know, slot vertical, all those things. He would have better production and two if he played at Alabama with an accurate quarterback exactly. he'd also have yeah. very good production I think you have to think about that situation I pulled the numbers he had the fourth lowest percentage of accurate targets on target passes in his direction yeah. of any quarter uh, any receiver in college football that's insane it's hard to produce at a high level when you have such an inaccurate quarterback throwing you the football another thing too when we talked to him I think you mentioned it but Jalen Rager was used at right wide receiver. That's where TCU wanted him. That was the design. But this guy could play in the slot. You can get creative with his usage and find ways to get him the football. Can we get a little bit more on Brandon Ayuk, though? I, I think there's still there, there's people that like uh, or compare him to Nikhil Harry, but I think this is a better player than Nikhil Harry of Arizona State. Oh, I think he's much better. And I mean, there's almost, a ton of receivers that are better that's than Nikhil the, Harry. That's almost <laughs> the worry, though. It's like they're kind of the thing that's in the back of your mind. It's like, why wasn't he, you know, back in 2018, they're on the same team. Why wasn't he featured more? You know, mm-hmm. 474 yards that year. Only 33 catches, massive breakout this year with 65 catches for 1,192 yards. Why was he not seeing a bulk, just seeing more targets? And he actually even talked about that at the Senior Bowl and that, you know, Nikhil Harry was a five-star. Nikhil Harry, ever since his freshman year, they were like, this is our NFL guy. We're going to, you know, give him, they were going to design plays around him and not necessarily anyone else. And and he said he was frustrated by that, but I think he, he proved this year that, uh, maybe that was more of a coaching decision. And I, I, I do think that, y- yes, the lack of production as a junior coming out of you know two years of junior college back in 2018 is, is a little bit of a concern. But I, I don't think, uh, you know, after he- hearing him explain it and kind of the situation, I'm not too worried about it at all. The fact that he balled out this year is really all I need to know. Well, let's go to the tight end position. It's overall a pretty weak tight end class. There's not, I mean, not a ton of superstars in this top 10, but let's run through it. Hunter Bryant of Washington. It's funny that we even call him a tight end. He's going to be used as like this move tight end piece know, yeah. at the next level. I don't think people are going to love him as a blocker. I think he's mm-hmm. a lighter guy. Like Evan Ingram is just an easy comp for Hunter Bryant, seeing what he does at the college level. Then you have Bryson Hopkins of Purdue, another receiving threat that's you know not necessarily going to wow you as a blocker, but mm-hmm. his receiving ability is really what has him at the top of this tight end chart here. And number three, Adam Troutman of Dayton put on a show at the Senior Bowl, liked his route running ability, liked his athleticism coming out of a small school. Cole Komet of Notre Dame, he's at four. Cheyenne O'Grady of Arkansas at five, still at five until another red flag pops up. Because this guy's one more off-field concern away from, okay, you're probably not playing in the NFL because he's got an interesting (laughs) backstory. He might not even as his. Exactly, yeah. But, I mean, when he's on the field and everything's going okay, he's one of the better tight ends in this class. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is he struggles to find the field. He struggles to wear a jersey because Arkansas, you know, obviously moving on from him late in the season – Harrison Bryant of FAU coming in at six. He had a very good senior bowl as well. Really liked what Harrison Bryant put on tape in Mobile. Jared Pinckney at seven of Vanderbilt. Josiah DeGara of Cincinnati's finest, University of Cincinnati. Go Bearcats here, hometown Cincinnati. Number nine, Stephen Sullivan of LSU. Another guy that 
a wide receiver turned tight end that when he went to the Senior Bowl, didn't expect a ton from him, but he's just fast than everybody. This guy's yeah. legit fast. Like, it was way yeah. faster than a lot of the people he was going against in Mobile. And number 10, Albert O. of Missouri. I'm not going to get into that last name. That thing's aggressive. But Albert O. of Missouri drops to 10. Some people liked him as the best tight end in this class before the season progressed, but yeah. then you see these other guys coming in for him. Um, let's go ahead and jump to Cole Komet of Notre Dame. I think there are some people who have him as tight end number one. He comes in at number four for our latest uh, top 10 tight ends. Where are you at with Cole? I, I go back and forth because I – just being, you know, a Notre Dame fan, went to Notre Dame. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of good tight ends come through Notre Dame, you know, whether it's Anthony Fasano, Tyler Eifert, Kyle Rudolph, whatever, all these guys who have been, uh, you know, then productive NFL players. And to me, he just never never really seems like that. Like, I just never thought of him in that regard. Uh, you know, when watching them, I never was like, oh, he's like a, a weapon for them. And all of a sudden, I went back and flipped on the All-22, and I'm like, you know, he was open a little more than what he got credit for. What Ian Book was finding him, this guy uh, has legit speed to test the seams. And, and the thing I never really quite realized was his size. He's 6'6", <laughs> 258. Like, he is put together. He is actually a bigger tight end. And, and I think if with all the, all the undersized sort of move athletic tight ends, there is still room for your inline blocker, your guy who is actually the size of a tight end who is then a mismatch weapon because of that size, a guy who you, you can't feel comfortable putting a, a 5'11 safety on uh, and asking him to play man coverage because you'll just get, uh, you know, almost like the, the Zach Ertz of the world, who's a very incredibly physical route runner. I think that could be commit at the next level. You don't have to necessarily always just be, uh, you know, just pure speed to win, but I think he has enough of that as well. So I was more impressed the more I watched him on tape. Uh, some guys have him as tight end one. I'm still not getting completely on board with that, but uh, I'm I'm a fan of Komet's game, and, and well, obviously, unsurprisingly, being a Notre Dame fan. But like, I, <laughs> but like I said, I wasn't that much when he was actually playing for Notre Dame when I was watching this past season. I mean, go Irish. I mean, the bottom line is just a go Irish comment there. But I, I really do like the top three guys because of what they add yeah. as receivers. And I think when you see, you look at the Super Bowl coming up, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, guys that can heavily impact the passing game, beat guys who the other defense coordinators game plan against. I think that's what you're capable of with guys like Hunter Bryant, Bryson Hopkins, etc. Uh, let's jump to this offensive tackle group. Oh, my gosh. There is a ton of talent at offensive tackle in this class. A lot of underclassmen, too, as well, mm-hmm. that you guys can get on board with. And what, what they're doing right now, let's start with number one, Andrew Thomas of Georgia, athletic, smooth mover. This guy's been number one as our tackle for a while now. Two, Jedrick Wills Jr. of Alabama, the right tackle, very explosive. The run-blocking tape is fun to watch. I mean, this guy just buries kids uh, game in and game out. Number three, Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. There's rumor that maybe you could kick him into guard. That's where he starts immediately at the next level, but he has tackle potential as well. Josh Jones of Houston, a superstar senior ball, got up to number 16 on PFF's latest draft board. He comes in at four on our offensive tackle rankings. Makai Becton of Louisville at number five. Six, Lucas Niang of TCU. Seven, Jack Driscoll of Auburn. Eight, Matt of UConn, another guy that people were watching closely at the Senior Bowl. Number nine, Ezra Cleveland of Boise State. And 10, Trey Adams of Washington, another guy that before the season, people had this guy, number one, number two in the offensive tackle class, now kind of falling a bit with these underclassmen jumping up. Let's start with number one. Let's dive deep into Andrew Thomas. I I really do think this guy's a a big needle mover at the top of the draft. Yeah, I just think this group of tackles, you go one through four for us are all Studs. Mm-hmm. Andrew Thomas of Georgia, Jedrick Wills, Alabama, Tristan Worth, Iowa, Josh Jones of Houston. Grading wise, uh, you know, athletically wise, you know, the, all the boxes you want to see tick, these guys tick them. And that's why we have them in the top four 
and then Makai Becton down at five and a ways down on our draft boards because he doesn't he doesn't necessarily tick that production box. When you, we, and we've talked about in terms of his uh, one just not having a lot of true pass sets, true uh, two, he's just not you know performing well on <laughs> mm-hmm. them. But I, it's one of those classes where I'm not sure you can necessarily miss. And if you want to order these guys, however you want to order this top four group, I'm not going to argue with mm-hmm. you. Like, like they, they all have very strong pros and cons. Jedrick Wills, uh, easily the most athletic of the bunch. Tristan Wirfs, probably the best run blocker of the bunch. Thomas, I think, blends both of those two. At a high uh, level. The, to, yeah, I mean, his grading the profile, Andrew yeah. Thomas's grading profile, you speak to the athleticism, the size. Yeah. Like, he is graded so well for us. And yeah. our offensive line and defensive line grades at the college level are some of the most predictive. Mm. Compared to other positions, they're some of the most predictive. And I think seeing how he's graded, see what he weighed in at. I know he's going to blow up the combine. I mean, Andrew Thomas at one, I feel really comfortable about. Yeah, I just think these guys are good. Like, <laughs> I think they're going to go highly. And, like, I, Hot take. I don't have a ton of question marks about these guys. And even... Even Wirfs, who started off a little higher on a board earlier in the season and is a step behind Thomas and Wills now on our draft board, he, he, was, he was still dominant down the stretch in terms of one pressure in his last seven games. Like wow. he, He's gotten better every single year over the course of his career. So like, I, I'm not going to argue if someone's going to be like, no, Wills is better than Thomas. I'm not going to argue about the tackle yeah. class this season. It's a good tackle It's class. a good problem to have, Just, too, yeah, especially exactly. if you do need offensive line help, which I don't think there's a team in the NFL, all 32, that would say, yeah, we're good on offensive line. We don't need to even groom that, that yeah. position. We are set. I think every team at the top and back of the first round would love to have one of these guys. I think you're going to see a handful of these guys run at offensive tackle early in the draft. And before we jump off the offensive tackle position, I want to, I know we talked about it on the Tuesday podcast, but talk to me about this difference. You mentioned the top four with high regard, but then here comes number five, Mekhi Becton, the mountain. You know, this guy's yeah. getting comped to guys in Game of Thrones. <laughs> and people love him. You talk to NFL teams, they love him. But you, you have him at number five, and he's still not in that conversation with this top four. So he has a weird sort of history in terms of when uh, Petrino was there mm-hmm. back in his freshman, sophomore year. They would flip tackles based on strength Yikes. and formation, which is just like <laughs> – it's 2019. You can't be That's flipping. Ta- you can't be flipping tackles and expecting them to hold up in pass protection. Mm-hmm. Like it's completely different footwork, completely different. Like that's a that's a run based decision. That, that's just putting your guy in a situation to fail. And he had a 60.4 pass blocking grade back in 2018. Allowed 30 pressures. Like it wasn't good. Like he was bad in pass protection. It, it got ugly. Obviously, new scheme, change it up this year. Only allows 12 pressures. Pass blocking grade goes to 79.2. But it's also a very run-heavy scheme, a very play-action-heavy scheme. Yep. You're not asking him to pass-protect a lot. And when he was asked to, uh, like I mentioned before, it, was, it wasn't necessarily great. And so we want to see guys, one, pass-protect a lot. We, we, we like to see reps. Uh, practice makes perfect, as they say. And two, do it at a high level. Like We want to see both of those things before we're going to get on board with you as a top prospect. And Becton hasn't checked those boxes. And so that's just that's what it is. We're not saying that he can't be good. We're not saying that, uh, you know, in a few years down the line, we're not saying that these physical traits that he had won't develop into a top-notch offensive tackle. It's just there's more inherent risk when you haven't seen a guy do it. So that's what it's going to be lower on. All right, let's jump to interior offensive line. I think I went into the senior bowl not super excited about this interior offensive line class, but then there are a couple guys that popped off down in Mobile. In addition to that, there's some other ones that weren't at the senior bowl ranked high here. Number one, we'll start with number one, Natani Muti of Fresno State. This guy battled injuries his entire career, but when this guy's healthy, he's the best guard in the country. I mean, this guy is very impressive as a run blocker, also stout 
in pass protection. Number two, a senior bowl standout, Jonah Jackson of Ohio State. Number three, Tyler Biotish of Wisconsin. His 2018 season, his grading was insane. Like He went into this year like, okay, he's probably going to be the best interior offensive lineman in this class. Dropped a little bit in 2019. His 2019 tape is not impressive. I want to jump more into that down the road here. Number four, Calvin Throckmorton of Oregon. Played some tackle down at the Senior Bowl. I think they needed some tackle help Mm -hmm. with with some dropouts there. But he projects as a guard at the next level. Five, Damian Lewis of LSU. A Gabe Jackson comp. This guy's built like a Lego block. Just like fit. 330 pounds. I think with six foot two. Dude is an insane build. But he does not get bullied. I'll tell you that right now. Nick Harris of Washington. Kind of the opposite. More of an athletic guy. Side-to-side mover, can get bullied by some bigger dudes. Logan Stenberg of Kentucky at number seven, dubbed Mr. Nasty in the SEC. Number eight, you have Lloyd Cushenberry of LSU, the center. And number nine, Cesar, Cesar Ruiz of Michigan. Ten, Robert Hunt of Louisiana. That's the full ten for the interior offensive line group. Let's get back up to number one. Mm. You know, not, I'm going to tell you right now, Mike, there's not going to be a lot of people, not a lot of media, <laughs> not a lot of NFL Mucci. teams that have Natani Mucci as your number one interior offensive lineman, but you're sticking him at one. I'm not sure if that – I mean, there might be some NFL teams that do. Like, this mm-hmm. guy, if you just go – watch the tape like it is the best tape. That's why he's the number one guy at our boys, because he has the best tape. But he's mm-hmm. an interior offensive lineman. Yes, he has shoulder injury this past year, Achilles injury the year before that, and has played only, you know, 318 snaps over the last two years. That's concerning. And that's, uh, you can't take away injury red flags from guys. Like, those are things that happen, and you're not going to be able to, you know, prove, prove that wrong during the spring and the pre-draft process. That's nothing you can necessarily just overcome. But... The on-field, the performance, and it's not just the highlight reel blocks in the run game. Those are awesome, and I love those. It's the pass protection. He has yeah. 14 pressures allowed in his entire college career, 697 pass blocking snaps between the offensive tackle and guard uh, for Fresno State. Like He has gotten the job done consistently in pass protection, no matter when it's been called upon him. He's completely unafraid of the bull rush. No one moves this guy backwards. Uh, and then he's more athletic than – he's not just your hulking. He's not Damian Lewis. He's not Lloyd Cushenberry. Those guys are – bricks but like they do struggle to move laterally he doesn't he's yeah. smooth he, he is a natural athlete and that's why we have him at number one uh to me he is he's a better version of will hernandez coming out uh, wow. will hernandez was just like you're, you're not gonna move me mm-hmm. uh, he, that was will hernandez coming out of utep he, he, no one really pushed him back into the pocket as ever uh and he excelled there in pass pro uh, at UTEP, and it's been solid in the NFL. I think Muti is just a better, more physically imposing version of Will Hernandez. With Natani Muti, I would recommend two things for new and ongoing podcast listeners. One, watch his highlight tape on YouTube. Yeah. And two, read about this guy's background because yeah. he is just like this like folklore from coming out of Hawaii. Like People yeah. talk about this guy like Sasquatch. Like, have you seen him? I think I spotted him down in Fresno. But yeah, this guy is a special dude on and off the field. If he can manage to stay healthy, I think he's going to be destined for a good NFL career. Let's jump to number three, Tyler Biotish. I want to dive more into the concerns on his 2019 tape. What differed for you from 2018 to 2019? Why the drop-off in grading? And how concerned should you really be? be with that drop off of it well it's more just he puts he put more bad on tape like, mm-hmm. like it he was he graded well still this year i think he was still a top five graded center uh, in all of college football but he put more bad on tape uh against uh, you go to the bowl game against oregon got beat a few times in pass pro uh i, I think you just saw some uh, balance issues just get more exacerbated and you want to see a guy improving every single year yeah. you want to see things getting better because Every position, but offensive line especially, you have a massive jump going from college to pro, and he wasn't getting better. And so that's that's why he moves down the board. It's not because 
necessarily got worse per se. Like it, it wasn't so much that it got worse. It was just the things that you wanted to see fixed didn't get fixed. And so he, he just might be, he just might not be this sort of top uh, 30 prospect that we saw him going in. Now we have him more around the 50 range, like a mid to late second rounder, I'd say. At this point, like I still feel very good about him in his own run blocking scheme. Still love his uh, technique, his consistency in that regard. But I just think he has some balance issues. Can get a little top heavy in pass pro. Not the most physically imposing center, uh, but I mean, still checks in at number three on this. It's not the no slouch. All right, let's jump to number four, Calvin Throckmorton, kicking inside the guard. You know, probably in the NFL, yeah. you see him as one of the better players. What a better tackle converts to guard in this class. Yeah, and. I kind of just wanted to touch on the fact that he he was tackled at Oregon, but he did play like every single uh, he played position. Every single, yeah, yeah, at yeah. least one snap at every single position. There had multiple starts at center, multiple starts. At An offensive tackle. line coach's dream. Yeah, like he, he's been around the block, but then he goes to the Senior Bowl and they play him like almost exclusively at tackle there because the tackle drops out and he was the guy they called on to replace him. But the dude is not a tackle. Like mm-hmm. like he is very much short arms. Uh, doesn't have uh, the sort of lateral agility that you need. Not great in space. That's not. He's not going to be a tackle, but I think he can be a very good offensive guard or center if that's where you want him to play in a phone booth. Dude's very tech, dude is very good. A people mover. Plays with great leverage. The grading like, profile's a, great. I mean, he, he's graded really well at Oregon. Very good in pass protection, and he gets himself in trouble when he is out in space when he has to react laterally to guys. That was when he got himself in trouble, and you saw it, like I said, in the Senior Bowl. But it's very different. He's the very quintessential tackle in college, guard convert, and you put him there and you just you know plug him there for the next five, ten years. Like he is going to be, I think, a solid guard at the NFL level. I know another guy you wanted to highlight in this list of ten was Robert Hunt of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Comes in at number ten on this list, but there are some special traits on film. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I'm just I threw him at ten, or he's at ten right now on the list because I was I just haven't seen it against better competition. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where you need to see it. And that's why it was really sad when he dropped out of the senior bowl because I thought he could have gone from 10 to the four range, you know, made a similar jump, you know, got up in that Calvin Throckmorton conversation because uh, the dude is a brick. Like he is just so well built for the offensive guard position in the NFL. Uh, but it's easy to throw around, it's easily to impose your will against guys who won't be playing in the NFL ever. Yeah. Like it's easy to do that, it's easy to look good on a highlight reel when you're playing 230-pound edge rushers. So Louisiana, he played right tackle there, uh, didn't pass a lot in that offense either, so we haven't seen him pass protect a lot. So just kind of hesitant on him. But he's a guy who, uh, if we see more and how he moves at the combine, that sort of thing, could keep pushing his way up our board. Had an injury that cut his season short, only played through week eight. But what I will say, looking at his grading profile, improved every year. You know, overall from an overall yeah. grade standpoint, from 69.7 in 2016 across 925 snaps to an 87.1 overall grade, including an 86.0 run blocking grade in 2019. I, I got to be honest, I haven't watched a ton of his tape, but I mean, looking at some of this, some of these grades here, I think you have to be impressed with his projection and how much he's improved. Would love to have seen him go down at the Senior Bowl, but Combine will be big for him, seeing where he tests and things like that. That's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. This has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner. Remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Again, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. 